G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. 2020, bringing a biblical perspective on life, culture and current events. Weekdays on UCB's Vision Radio Network. Find out more at vision.org.au. Well, Phil Dunk, great to have you with us. Uh, Let's have a bit of a chat about some of the things that we came across while we were in Papua New Guinea. Just quickly, uh, refresh our listeners to your role as you're wearing that hat called Chairman of the Board. Chairman of the Board is one of the hats. Uh, It comes under a bigger hat that's called the Melanesian Project, which takes in uh, the Solomon Islands and Vanuatu as well. But it's probably my most important hat at the moment because... There has been incredible growth in the almost five years that we've been involved. And uh, it's just, well, you've seen it for yourself. Now, by the way, did you take your anti-malarials this morning? (laughs) You're supposed to take them for so many days. I know. I'm in trouble, actually, because there was the odd mozzie floating around. Well, there's uh, one in here. (laughs) (laughs) We we can talk some more about that. And, uh, Phil, I want to invite our listeners to be part of our conversation, too, because uh, so many people over so many generations now throughout churches all around Australia have seen our near neighbour to the north, Papua New Guinea, and they've said, well, that's a mission field that's close by. And there's been a lot of missionary activity over the years. So for listeners tuned into our conversation now, you might have some thoughts on mission outreach in Papua New Guinea. You might have some thoughts on the value of what a national Christian broadcaster might bring in PNG, supporting all of those efforts that have been going on for generations. You might have some insights, too, into the culture and the customs Uh, that are so different in Papua New Guinea, and hopefully we'll get a chance to talk about those this hour. Our talkback line open on 1-800-316-316 if you would like to participate in our conversation. Uh, Phil, let's talk about PNG because there's some real needs there uh, that from our vantage point here in Australia, we look up there and we say all those people up in, you know, some living in the jungle Uh, in small villages, others gravitating towards cities. Uh, It's not all fun and games. In fact, those people up there in PNG are very often doing it pretty tough. Oh, yes, without a doubt. uh, There are places that really are on par with the sort of problems that we see in Africa, with the lack of food, uh, with um, areas where there hasn't rained for some time where it should be raining, Uh, other areas where people are just cut off because of major communications having let them down. And they're in that crossover area between living in the very old days and living in the modern day and the, for instance, the roads. Now, they have and are becoming more dependent on roads, but if there's a major flood and the road washes away, then they're just cut off and they're forced to go back, yet they're not quite equipped to go all the way back. You follow what I'm saying? And so for for many of those people, it is a real, uh, it's a battle to live on their subsistence living, but recognizing that they need to have cash money in their hand and how do we get cash money? And for some of those places, they go without because it's just not there. You know what I noticed is, you know, 
From time to time, we'll understand that there are a group of radical young men in Papua New Guinea. They're called rascals. Mm. And, uh, and I tried to uh, try to understand uh, how the rascal population continues to evolve. And, uh, and what I discovered uh, with, in one conversation was that uh, a lot of young men in the villages who are living very self-sufficient uh, lives, uh, they get this idea that if they go to the city, they'll be able to earn the big money and uh, they'll be able to get those material possessions, have a big screen TV and drive a flash car. And so they have this uh, vision and this image in their mind as they come down from the village. They're coming completely uh, unqualified because they've been doing some subsistence farming and just living off the land. And in some respects, uh, you know, you could actually say that's a bit of an idyllic lifestyle to be able to go and pick some fruit off a tree and eat it uh, or to go and do some uh, hunting and, and, uh, and have that sort of uh, lifestyle where you can be self-sufficient. But they go to the cities uh, with the hope of finding that job that's going to give them that big paycheck that's going to give them all of those material possessions. And, of course, there are only very few jobs going, and they find themselves homeless, uh, stuck in the cities. And in their homelessness, they need to resort to a life of criminal activity just to survive. And, uh, and so as a foundation for what perhaps is going on in PNG with the rascals, uh, that is one of the significant things that I picked up from uh, having conversations with various ones. Most of the fellows from the bush, most people from the bush, are very good in terms of being able to put their hand to doing almost anything. They're very good fix-it people, and they don't have to have had very much training, and they can come in and resolve when it comes to buildings and all those sort of things. They very quickly pick up, and so their thinking is, well, if I go to the city, at least I can do that. But it's even worse for those who've been taken out of the village previously, perhaps through their schooling system, as having done very well in school, and they've been picked up and sent to some sort of advanced learning, only to find that there's no jobs for them. And so they hang around the city looking for work, and you've got people with university degrees who are just selling from little stalls on the side of the road. Uh, let's move on to a whole bunch of things because we'll 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 tackle a, a, a lot of things and uh, invite our listeners to be part of our conversation too. I uh, thought that the areas that we visited and we were going to Weewak on the North Shore and then to, to Port Moresby in the South, absolutely beautiful place, uh, Weewak. You know those wilting uh, coconut palms over beautiful beaches and. And we had a great time visiting a beach called Wom, and uh, you know I know <laughs> yes. I know you like to talk about the Wom experience, and uh, you know, but palm trees and coconuts just sort of uh, floating up onto the shore. If you can imagine, just an idyllic type of a beach where you might think you've got to look over your shoulder. There had to be a huge resort just nearby, but there wasn't. That's right. It was a really very natural and untouched environment. Oh, I'm hoping to change that. <laughs> <laughs> when Ian Warby, our uh, Australia, uh, Asia Pacific uh, director was up there with me. Uh, he and I st sat or stood in the water up to our neck, and we were planning a resort just on that shore. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, there there is an incredible amount of natural beauty, and you would think where are all the tourists? But it's not because uh, they've they've not been promoting it. It's just that it's so out of the way, and people say, "Well, what would you do?" Well, you could just sit on the beach or in the water. You could do that for a week. I think you'd agree with that. It'd be, it'd be very nice <laughs> to do that. But the infrastructure is a real problem, Neil. Um, 
corruption has seen fit to take its place at a very high level. And so much of the money that's supposed to be, and some of it's donated by countries such as Australia, it's designed to go into essential services. And unfortunately, the money's found its way into advisors' pockets and other uh, public servants' pockets on the way through. And by the time the money gets there to purchase what they're supposed to be getting, it's not enough. We will talk some more about corruption and uh, because it's a huge issue in Papua New Guinea. But I don't want to leave WOM uh, without mentioning the idea of uh, standing, as you say, or going for a swim, as we did, because uh, there was an opportunity to go for a swim. We actually did work very hard while we were there, but we had a day off too, and this was the WOM experience. Uh, I was swimming there and uh, with one of our one of our nationals, <laughs> uh, Vetus, and Vetus was our guest here. He visited Australia just a couple of years ago. But uh, I said to Vetus, here we are swimming in the water and it was just a wonderful, wonderful place. And I said, Vetus, how can you be sure that there are no co- crocodiles here? Because there's a lot of crocodiles up uh, that way in Papua New Guinea. And he said... Oh, we're not sure that there are no crocodiles here at all, <laughs> which didn't make me feel particularly comfortable, actually, beyond that point with my swimming. Well, he was fairly certain because he'd never seen them. <laughs> uh, you know, crocodiles up there. We went out to a restaurant for dinner one night, and I enjoyed a very nice crocodile Thai green curry. And, uh, you know, people say, what does crocodile taste like? Well, it tastes like chicken, <laughs> just a little saltier. But uh, you know, expressing uh, uh, what it's like to to eat crocodile, uh, thought I'd take in that experience as well. You can still buy your uh, crocodile shoes and handbags because they are legitimately uh, farming crocodiles in the Sepik River. There are many, many of them, and uh, they're making uh, a good living out of that. And uh, I've taken Steve Munro and Ian. Uh, over there, I didn't get to take Grant over when he visited, and unfortunately, I didn't with you either, Neil. But that's it's just an amazing place to see seven or eight hundred crocodiles in all of these various uh, pools and ponds there, right beside the river. They've just pulled them straight out of the river, so it's a natural resource. Why not use it? But the meat is supposed to be the cheapest meat available on the market in in PNG. Well, you can be a part of our conversation today and you may have your own experience of Papua New Guinea. You may be related to someone who was a missionary there at one stage and you might have a tale to tell. You're welcome to be a part of our conversation today. We're talking about Papua New Guinea. Of course, PNG is uh, one of those mission fields uh, where missionaries have been going for generations and now the opportunity to have UCB on the radio across the whole of Papua New Guinea. We only have it in the... uh, Sepik area and the provinces east and west Sepik in Papua New Guinea and the opportunity to expand is is coming upon us uh, hopefully rapidly with some of the things that that can take place. Uh, you can be a part of our conversation one eight hundred three sixteen three sixteen. Uh, if you have a story or something to contribute to our conversation, uh, please give us a call, one eight hundred three sixteen three sixteen. 316 Phil, let me come back to the young people in Papua New Guinea because, uh, interestingly, our outfit, UCB, PNG, targets young people. Now, that's with a specific purpose. It is indeed. Um, there are a few things that make up the reason for that. One is that no self-respecting young person, just like here, will be seen without a mobile phone in their pocket or in their hand or in their wherever, hanging around their neck. And all of them have the ability, those that are on sale there, all of them have the ability to pick up um, FM radio and 
More often than not, you see young people walking around with earplugs, listening to their mobile phone's radio reception. And the number of times that we have just walked up to them when I've been there previously and just said, what station are you listening to? And the response is Life FM. That's us. And we have, uh, even from the very first inception, uh, the station was a joint foundation between UCB International and Youth with a Mission. And Bill Chambers, who was originally involved in the setup of it. He had a real heart for the youth, and so the music they chose was not the sort of music you would hear on just any Christian radio station, probably not on Vision, and uh, certainly not on One Took Radio Light. They have a different uh, area of target. But if you're interested in hip-hop gospel or reggae gospel, if you if you didn't even know that they existed, you can hear it on Life FM, but unfortunately we're not on the internet, so you can't have a peek listen. But it's an interesting uh, growth in the communication with the young people to the point where now we were talking about the impact we've been making in East Seabury. The government approached us uh, about five years ago and said, we recognise that you are doing a job with our youth that, and we are seeing a direct result of the fact that misbehaviour in public is dropping off. And we've done our research and we find that many of them are listening to your station. And we believe that what you're doing is having an effect. And they then, in turn, offered us a grant to help us to develop. Now, the good thing, the upshot, the good side of that is that uh, we've been able to put in new buildings, we've been able to get extra infrastructure, we've got a vehicle, and all of that the government has given to us, no strings attached. They are just saying, basically, use it responsibly, but we recognise that you're working with the youth. So we send them a report every year, and they come back and say, thank you for the work you're doing. So we feel we're doing it right. You know what I thought before going to PNG? Uh, the idea that everyone has a mobile phone. Uh, people who are really uh, quite poor by the standards that we talk about here, investing all of their hard-earned uh, spare money into actually keeping that mobile phone functioning. And the thought that I had was, oh, they're probably surfing the net, finding all sorts of sites all around the world and those sorts of things. But what I discovered when we got up there was, of course, internet is very difficult in so many places in Papua New Guinea. Now, probably in the main big centres, uh, there's adequate internet, but uh, the internet uh, was a victim of its own success in the sense that so many people are using it and obviously not enough uh, adequate uh, internet for anyone to really be significantly using uh, the internet. And and so when we think of a mobile phone and its many uses that we have here in Australia, up there, that FM radio reception is really one of the primary uses of those phones. And what an exciting opportunity that creates when you are a Christian radio broadcaster. Absolutely. And even in the villages, you go to some villages and in the centre of the village you'll see one little solar panel and there's a sort of a table and it's got a little grass roof over it and all around you'll see all the mobile phones plugged in and uh, charging up so they can make sure they continue to listen. Now much of the area that we broadcast into, there is no electricity at all. No longer do they listen to the big old battery-powered boom boxes. They're listening to their mobile phones. And the other thing that they do is they very seldom phone on their mobile phones. They text because they buy little top-up cards and they'll buy five kina at a time. That's $2.50 worth at a time. 
and they can get through if they're regular texters that may last them a couple of days but they can get through a week on that when it comes to requests on our radio station we don't have talkback radio as such where we are most of the times it's text back so they would send us a text we open the phones and say the subject is the phone is open now we have three mobile phones that sit on the desk of the person who's in the control panel and they would just see all of these text messages coming up and about 10 minutes time they say thank you no more texts they still come but (laughs) no more for now and they will go through and they would either be making call dedications or if it's on a subject especially one like uh what about domestic violence they'll you'll have women from villages all around, way outside, who will anonymously text and say, I have such and such and such and such a problem. We get another one, it's exactly the same as another one, it's the same. So we don't mention names, but we will address those questions, especially if we have uh, an expert guest in the studio. And so they can hear in their village and then somebody else in another village say, I wish I'd asked that question because that's exactly my problem. But one text message is brief, says a lot in a short space of time, but we can address it fully without them actually being involved on the air and giving away who they are and where they are. This is 2020 with Neil Johnson, helping you make sense of life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. And our special guest this hour, Phil Dunk, who wears the hat, chairman of the boards of UCB in Papua New Guinea. Had the wonderful privilege of being with Phil on a trip to PNG over these past couple of weeks. We got back late last week, uh, just in time for uh, relaunching what we're doing here with 2020 for this new year. Uh, Phil, let's come back to what is a very uh, important and serious topic about Papua New Guinea, and that is this issue of corruption. Uh, And corruption, not only in a general sense, uh, political, in business, it filters right down to individuals, but but also extends into even, uh, you know, what I was hearing, uh, parliamentary processes and holding the nation back in so many ways. Certainly. Neil, you're aware that I lived for eight years also in the Solomon Islands. I was there uh, for some of my time prior to independence and after independence. And I would say that Probably since uh, since the mid-1970s, corruption has become more of a way of a life in Melanesia, much more than it was before. And I was talking to uh, one of the older uh, missionaries who actually, as a retired missionary, goes back and does a lot of work uh, alongside aid, um, aid organizations, uh, Christian institutions, and so on. And he was saying that he blamed it on one particular nation— uh, we were not going to talk about who that is, but they were a nation that were very keen on logging. And in order to clear the permission to get hold of the timber that they wanted, there are a number of levels of structure that you probably should be working your way up. But these men would go to, they'd jump a structure, one level of structure, and they'd offer money to the next one. And that would often give them access to the areas of timber they want, even to going to the headmen of the villages and the regions, offering them money so that they can get in, quickly take out all the logs that they want and send them back to their own country to process. And that seems to have started something of a landslide in terms of everybody now sees it as if something's coming up, 
then if you're in the right pecking order, you get your hand out and you get your share on the way through. So the money that's actually designated for a particular project either has to be inbuilt with a certain percentage that will get handed out on the way, or else if you're just going in with a single figure, then by the time it gets to the end, the money's not there to buy what's needed. Mm. Well, those terms of bribery, corruption and nepotism came up in conversations as we were talking about the big challenges that face PNG. Mm. Uh, when it comes to nepotism, that's the idea of, uh, you know, if there's a, a position to be filled, you grab a family member or a good friend and you put them into the role and they all of a sudden become highly paid for what they do, but they have no real qualification to be able to fulfil that role and so uh, you don't have uh, the expertise to be able to address the real challenges. You've got someone in the, in the job, uh, they've got a title, uh, but they just haven't got the capacity to be able to fulfill that. Uh, the uh, political corruption, which you're uh, talking about there, uh, issues uh, of bribery, this seems to have filtered right down to the very marketplace, people on the street. Every business transaction apparently uh, has some sort of kickback, uh, some sort of bribe that has to be paid to be able to get a contract. Uh, this sort of thing really uh, turns a whole economy upside down. Seems to be, and yet traditionally if you look at village life as it was, and I remember thinking when I was very first in the Solomon Islands back in the very early 70s, that so much of what goes on in the village is actually better organised than life as we know it. Uh, the control of elders within the village was very well set, and there were all sorts of uh, cultural mores that you just didn't break. There were things you definitely didn't do when you were in the village, and yet we were seeing when young people were escaping the village to go to the town for education and whatever, suddenly their behaviour changed because restraint was taken away. And as more and more young people have drifted away from the village because they've had this new area of education, and instead of taking the education and turning it back inwards towards their village to make them a better market trader or a better timber seller or a better fish seller or crocodile catcher or whatever... They decided that they would just go away and getting away from the village elders, they immediately kicked over the traces and they set off on other courses. Those who were fortunate enough to have a good education, adding that to their resentment of the old village life now with their new experience and understanding and education, when they walked into a good job, they took with them all of that baggage of, of resentment and rebellion and corruption is part of that as well. So therefore you're getting this generational change which is creeping but is then having a backwash back into the villages now and a lot of that stuff is gone. Uh, Phil Dunk, uh, some breakthroughs by way of the distribution of the word for today beyond our shores here in Australia up into Papua New Guinea. Uh, what's happening with the distribution up there? Well, the word for today is being published in Port Moresby and we're doing it in conjunction with the One Talk Radio Light Network and so we're seeing a tremendous jump forward. They've uh, gladly come on board, and it's going to be a continuing joint venture. But the demand for the word for today, once we get distributing it, is just so high. And it's good because Bob's writing is really in relatively simple English, although we would like someone who can copy it or translate it into Tok Pidgin, which is the biggest of the trade languages in PNG. And uh, we have someone in mind. We've talked to him, and he said, well, if I can't do it, I'll find somebody else for you. But yeah, we're, we're quite hopeful that that's going to speed up the, the delivery of it and the popularity of it. But it's not just a matter of it being popular. It really has been already 
uh, something that's shown itself to be a real inspiration to the people. Let's talk about the churches in Papua New Guinea because while we've been talking about corruption and nepotism and bribery, well, the church has to exist in uh, in this culture and uh, and we came across uh, some church leaders, uh, people who were leaders of churches in the capital of Port Moresby. Uh, we also uh, had a wonderful opportunity to meet Pastor Yambe, who is the uh, leader, uh, the chairman of the uh, Churches of the Nazarene. They have 900 churches throughout uh, Papua New Guinea. Had a wonderful uh, time with Pastor Yambe. Uh, also met uh, pastor of the Christian Apostolic Fellowship. His name is Pastor Matthew Tapus, uh, an old contact of mine, in fact, and uh, they have 500 churches in PNG. So we had some contact with church leaders and uh, people who seriously were uh, leading major denominations I- in that land. But there's some significant things that came to light, uh, Phil. Uh, one of the things I noted was was that there is, uh, while there is a sort of a thin veneer of Christianity across uh, the whole nation, in fact, they call themselves a Christian nation in Papua New Guinea, if you get just below that thin veneer, there's all of this... Uh, background of uh, of culture and what they call custom in PNG, and I know you love to talk about this, but if I, I tell you a story uh, that I heard uh, as we were on our way up to PNG, uh, and this illustrates somehow or other, uh, you know, what we could talk about when it comes to the churches. I heard of a uh, a group of men who turned up at a gold mine dam, and uh, they were there because they uh, felt that there was an evil spirit in the dam. And so they underwent a particular ceremony to be able to rid this dam of uh, the evil spirit. So what they were there with, they were with with a pig, and uh, they began to sacrifice the pig slowly and painfully. And uh, as I uh, was hearing the story, I mean, your stomach churns a little, but uh, you've got the sacrifice of a pig, and uh, they've got beginning to dismember it. Uh, And uh, the louder it squeals, uh, the more uh, deliverance power uh, the sacrifice of the pig has. And so, uh, as I understand it, after they'd killed the pig and they took it away and they barbecued it and ate it and had a celebration, well, the next day they came back and said, well, the evil spirit is now gone from the dam. Now, the interesting thing about this story is that on Sunday in church, many of those who were there for the sacrifice of the pig were also in church on Sunday. Now, this illustrates, doesn't it, Phil, the difficulty that there is at the moment with this Christianity that has come, but the syncretism or the mixing in of this culture and custom uh, that has been part of PNG culture for uh, for uh, millennia. Yes, the culture is is the way they do things. The custom is the spirit behind it, and many of the things that people do in PNG uh, in their culture are actually quite uh, quite amazing. And they, as I was saying before, for instance, the the whole of their culture relating around the uh, authority of the eldership within the village. And uh, the way they do things, many of the things they do, and even their ordinary forms of medicine are very good. They use a lot of jungle medicines just like our Aboriginal people here in Australia. But the customary power, which is very strong, is demonic. Um, And they will often uh, add, when they come to the the Lord, they just add Jesus to, to the totem pole, if you like. 
And they have built over the years, not that the church haven't attempted to teach or not that there hasn't been a true move of the Holy Spirit in many places, but there are many churches that sit on the fringe and they're sort of they're having a bet each way. So, for instance, I used to see in my early days in Melanesia people turning up to church with these colored bits of wool tied around their wrist. And I'd say, oh, are you sick? And they would say, yes, uh, the uh, witch doctor tied this on my wrist because uh, whatever the sickness is. And uh, has anybody prayed for you? Um, Yes, yeah, but uh, I went to the witch doctor. just, And so they're having a bet each way. And unfortunately, that's one of the things that has gone for too long and there has not been any real stand in some of the areas. I'm not talking about specific denominations, but in some regions where it's just been talked down into a corner and so you have this very nice feeling of being a Christian. You enjoy the school that they bring you, the the clinic they put there, the nice church building they have and the wonderful white people who come and have a great time and teach them things from the book Bible, as they call it, book Bible. And uh, they'll tell them many good stories. Now, they love stories. Their whole culture is built on stories. And so they'll take all of that, but that will get added into the great library of other stories. And so for many that have just operated in the sense of we are doing missionary work, doing good works, it's unfortunately created a monster of its own now. And, of course, the idea of witch doctors, as you say, uh, this is very uh, uh, widespread throughout Papua New Guinea. I understand also they, they have voodoo, uh, the idea of piercing dolls and all sorts of things, uh, spiritual powers being enacted in order to manipulate people, to, uh, to hurt your enemies. Uh, these, things are, these things are happening on a day-to-day basis in so many villages. Yeah. In fact, in some areas, um, especially close to the sea, many of them worship the sharks who are on their coast and they call them up to defend them. If there would be other people coming, perhaps even in a canoe to invade their village, not so much as it happened these days, but not too long ago, it was still happening. And they would call up these sharks and the sharks would come and tip the others out of the canoe. Now you say, oh, yeah, that's pretty fanciful. No, it's not. It is a reality, and I've found from my years in the Solomons when I used to come home and talk to people about it, they say, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But then you go into some of these places where you actually see manifestations of spirits. Conversely, when there was a large revival in the Solomon Islands, and it happened similarly in Papua New Guinea and the Highlands when there was a time of a period of revival amongst some of the Christians there, and there was a demonstration of the power of God which was a little bit like Acts 2, where the wind came from heaven and so on. There were heathen people who actually saw the power of God coming down from heaven, and they came and they wanted to know, where is this big power? Because it's bigger than one we know. They live in a very spiritual area. There's very spiritual world that they're in. Speaking of that spirituality, I uh, when I shared various things with some of the pastors in the training session and some of the staff in Port Moresby at the Wontok Radio Light, uh, we were talking about spirituality and the idea that these uh, demonic spiritual manifestations happen regularly. And they said, oh, some people come here and they say that's all, you know, that's nonsense and uh, you shouldn't believe all that. They said... Every single person in Papua New Guinea knows that there is a spiritual realm 
and uh, that it is a powerful realm. In fact, uh, as I understand it too, uh, the worship of the crocodile has something that has gone on for many generations. Well, especially in the Sepik because there are so many there. And the crocodile is their, is their totem signature for their coat of arms and so on. And yes, there are many people. They have a big crocodile festival every year. And I'm not sure that uh, they continue with, with things such as they used to in the early days of sacrificing people to crocodiles. But there certainly is a, a great awareness of it. And uh, it's something that for one of our board members, in fact, he's caught between two because he's he works for the government. And his job is to, first of all, he manages the big sports stadium. But he is also responsible for all of the official festivals and things. And he has to organize or put together all, all the administration for the big crocodile festival, which is an annual thing in the Sepik area. And he said, I'm not sure how I feel about it, but uh, you know, it's part of my work. But it, it is a fascinating thing that, that uh, it continues with such force, and yet the nation as a whole are prepared to stand up and say, we are a Christian nation. Something of a contradiction. <laughs> <laughs> you know, in the discussions that we were a part of and uh, wonderful uh, and intimate uh, conversation with the pastors and with the presenters on these radio stations and, and talking about the value of what our Christian broadcast might have. And, uh, and they were asking my advice. And I said, well, hang on a second. I just put my hands up a little bit. I said, I really feel very inadequate to be able to speak into your circumstances here as you're familiar with all of this uh, custom and uh, this sort of black magic uh, witch doctor uh, things. And I, and I said, uh, but if I was offering some uh, discussion about this, I, I laid down some biblical principles uh, and also said to them, this is where your radio will be so powerful because you'll be able to get the testimonies on the air of people who have come into these power encounters with these spirits. And when we talk about the name of Jesus, uh, the blood of Jesus Christ, uh, the power of our Christian testimony, uh, we can see various places throughout God's word uh, where these things are used as weapons in this battle that we have between light and darkness. And the name of Jesus Christ uh, predominantly is uh, our major weapon of defense and of of uh, deliverance. And so I said, you need to get people's stories on the radio where you can so that it's not just someone, you know, white fella coming from down south, uh, coming up to try and tell you what you should do. But but you have this tremendous opportunity then to be able to bring the stories of your people in these power encounters uh, to so that they can see that they don't have to be bound by a lot of this uh, type of uh, religiosity from their past. Yeah, I'm. I'm not. Um, I'm not critical of missions because I've been involved with missions for many years of my life in different countries. But I think now we were talking about the veneer across the community uh, of a sort of a, a Christian covering. Even in some of the churches, Neil, there's a certain brittleness because their church was built on Western thinking, and as has happened in Africa, there is a real. F- sense amongst um, many of the national church leaders that it's time that we had a reassessment of the importance of some of the things that we are used to as Westerners involved in church and having a more localized expression. 
And I can see that as a reality. There is uh, there are a couple of denominations, and one is the um, I think it's called the United Evangelical Church, or name similar to that. And they are downstressing, if you like, some of the Western type organizational things within the church. They're not going back to culture. They're just doing things in a way that takes away that feeling that they have to do this because that's how the missionary would have done it. rather than going to the Word and saying, what is the Word of God saying to us here as our own people? And we in Christian Radio can help with that because we have made it quite clear. Uh, Both of the radio stations uh, are striving to be parachurch, working alongside the church, and we invite all of the pastors in the uh, Ministers Fraternal and WeWAC to come and be part of our broadcasts. They have opportunity to bring inspirational things. They can bring up their own guests who are visiting their church and we interview them on the air. Or we can even have them uh, coming and doing teaching or working. we go and work alongside them in some way of outreach. And we're looking at ways to make our church, uh, our radio, more effective to the church. And we can say things on air that the pastors can't say. And we can ask questions that pastors typically can't really ask. And so we can ask them the, the questions and they, they can answer, but we can ask other people the questions and get the answers for the church. And we see our, our role growing immeasurably in the next couple of years. You know, I can't help but be excited about the possibilities uh, of a national UCB right across Papua New Guinea because uh, these sorts of things we're talking about now uh, empowering nationals in Papua New Guinea mm. to be able to bring the Word of God to bear on their culture uh, in, in those special ways that uh, you know that uh, there is a, a, a cross-cultural nature of the Scriptures of the Gospel that brings deliverance from a lot of bondages uh, in a lot of areas, and uh, to be able to have those tools in the hands of those pastors who are these days mature in their own faith and really good leaders of their people, uh, to have a voice that speaks right into those. Uh, deep, outlying, isolated villages where a lot of this stuff is just uh, uh, causing families to be torn apart, bringing people under bondage to the the witch doctor and to magic and uh, voodoo and those sorts of things. Mm. Well, what a tremendous opportunity to be able to highlight uh, the Word of God. And uh, and through radio, it just doesn't have any bounds. Uh, We could cover the whole nation. This is 2020 with Neil Johnson, helping you make sense of life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. Fresh back from a wonderful trip up to Papua New Guinea with Phil Dunk, who is the chairman of the UCB Papua New Guinea board. And we have a radio outfit on the north shore of Papua New Guinea in the town of Wewak. And uh, we did some training up there and had a great time, met some fabulous people. I also recorded some interviews. I'm going to be bringing some of those uh, recorded interviews uh, into 2020 over the remainder of this week too. We met some fascinating people with some amazing stories to tell. Uh, Phil, we also met uh, some people who really had something of a reformer's spirit upon them. They were just uh, tremendous men of God, outspoken and right along uh, straight and narrow when it comes to God's Word. There's a guy by the name of Pastor Jack. What a guy he is. <laughs> He's just an absolute ball of energy and has been involved in pastoral ministry, but I think 
probably ordinary pastoral ministry couldn't contain him. <laughs> but the thing I like about him, and he's still involved in the radio, he speaks on air, and he has a program of his own. Just before you continue, uh, my special memory of Pastor Jack, and while you're talking about someone who is passionate, uh, we were on our way to the training sessions. You'll remember we had the radio tuned in, and they had a particular half hour. That's right. Uh, where one of the ministers, and it was Pastor Jack on this particular day, was leading uh, the 27 provinces uh, that were receiving this uh, radio signal in prayer for the nation. And uh, we just felt this man's passion. I couldn't understand the language. You could understand the language. This man's passion was just bursting through the radio speakers. Yeah, he was praying systematically around the provinces uh, where the broadcast goes from their station. Also, he was praying for the people cross-border in Irian Jaya uh, who are under uh, oppression from the uh, government of Indonesia there. But he is a man of real heart. And I said to him the day we were finishing up the training course, I said, so what, what's the immediate future got for you? And he said, oh, well, this this big shooting incident that happened and it, it while we were there, you remember, it just about brought the town to a standstill because the village where there had been a shooting by the police uh, was on the main road to the oil refinery and the whole of the city was shut down. There was just no oil getting through, no no um, petrol, no diesel. And even companies were shutting down because uh, their generators didn't have anything to keep their power going. And he said, tomorrow they're going to have a march for justice because these uh, two fellows, two young fellows who were shot, there was a feeling of injustice. And so he said, I'm going to be there. I said, what will you do? He said, oh, they are, actually have asked me to come and speak. I said, what will you do? He said, I won't miss the opportunity. I'll be giving them the gospel. <laughs> but he, he is, in his, in his own self, he's a real reformer. He is a man who's just prepared to stand up and be outspoken. He has the right personality. He certainly has the anointing of God on his, on his life. And he is a man of passionate prayer and really wants to see the nation change. Now, the thing that encouraged me was we were having in WeWAC a very much smaller training session. There were six of our staff and six of the national broadcaster staff who were sent. And you made a point bearing in mind that some of those from the national broadcaster probably weren't regular churchgoers, but all of them had that veneer of Christianity. But you made the point and you used the phrase opinion makers. And that excited me, but it certainly excited them too. And the story behind that, uh, many, many years ago, a couple of decades ago, I did an interview with a particular doctor and, uh, and uh, after the interview he pulled out of his briefcase a book uh, about the interview topic that we were talking about and he put it in my hands and he said... I need to get my book into the hands of opinion makers. And uh, so for the last 20 years or so, I've been uh, talking about people being in media who really are opinion makers. Well, the thing that I enjoyed most and got really excited about in the training course, and listeners, believe me, this man, Neil Johnson, has a real teaching gift. And I can tell you that the people, and I know how national uh, Melanesian people respond, they responded in a way that you seldom see. But they were quite excited about the fact that someone had presented them with the concept that in their job, whether they were in Christian radio or secular radio, when they're reporting or discussing the news, they can be, as people with a Christian belief, they can be opinion makers. They are opinion makers, but they can be more effective. And I believe that the time is coming now for Christian radio to begin to stand up and do just that to start 
bringing about some reform, to start molding the opinions of people in a positive way as God gives the opportunity in the opening. And one of the most amazing thing was, Neil, do you remember you had an opportunity at the end of the, both training courses, if anyone would like personal prayer in their, for their own life and situation and for the enabling in the, in the job that you're called to do, then let us know. And every one of those people, our own staff and the national broadcaster staff said, yes, please. And do you remember Ben? I remember Ben. He was the uh, NBC, similar to our ABC, uh, presenter in the northern provinces there, the eastern, western, Mm. Sepik, presents the news on television and on radio. Yeah, well, Ben said to me at the end of the course, this is amazing. He said, I go to training courses every now and again, and they give me a certificate. I come here, and they pray for me, and that's better than all the certificates I got on the wall. (laughs) (laughs) And he's a young man who has had a church background, but he openly admitted that he'd walked away from regular church attendance. And uh, so I said, what difference will it make, Ben? He said, I'll be in church on Sunday. So there's an, a young man. And it, when we mentioned him in Port Moresby, amongst just amongst people in Port Moresby about Ben, they said, oh, yeah, we know him. We see him on the NBC and and uh, we hear his voice doing reports from uh, the ECPIC. Time's running out, Phil. Uh, when people make a donation to uh, UCB here in Australia, the Vision Radio Network, we have you know appeals and uh, there's uh, donations that come through. In some sense, uh, they're already supporting what's happening because there's an overflow of some finances into PNG. How can people who might be specifically interested, uh, very quickly, a website or a contact detail that people can, can call? Well, you can go to UCB com.au or vision.org.au, even either of those two, and there's a donation area there. If you feel particularly that you would like to be supporting that work, then what you need to do is make your normal donation and please put a comment on there to say UCB PNG, and that money will go directly to the work. Phil Dunk, a pleasure talking, and uh, let's do this again sometime soon. Thanks for being with us. Like what you've just heard? There's more great podcasts, or you can listen to us live at vision.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported. Your donation of any amount will help us continue connecting faith to life. Learn more or donate today at vision.org.au.